Merry Christmas, everyone. It's a joy to be with you here tonight. I recently heard an old Jewish story about a young prince who falls into a delusion about his identity and becomes convinced that he is a chicken rather than a human being. He stripped off his clothes. He got down under the table and began to eat chicken food and and cluck incessantly. And after seeking help from many physicians and therapists, the king and queen became desperate and they reached out to a well-known wise rabbi who agreed to help them with their situation. The rabbi showed up and what did he do? He stripped off all of his clothes and he got down under the table with the prince and he began to eat the awful chicken food and cluck. After this absurd situation went on for some amount of time, the rabbi said to the prince, you know, this, this chicken food is, is, is getting old. I think I'll have some human food. How about you? And he began to eat some food and the prince followed suit. After a while longer, the rabbi said, you know, it's a little cold down here with no clothes on. I think I'll put on a robe. How about you? The rabbi put on some garments and the prince followed suit, putting on a robe. Sometime later, the rabbi looked to the prince and said, you know, it's a bit cramped under this table. I think I will stand up and stretch for just a moment. How about you? To which the prince replied, I'm already down here wearing human clothes and eating human food and talking. If I stand up, no one will believe that I'm a chicken. To which the rabbi replied, well, I know you're a chicken and you know you're a chicken but nobody else needs to know. You see, rather than do what most of us would have done and said, (laughs) this guy's lost his mind, or rather than say, young man, I want you to imitate me and do as I do, and you will be healed of this psychotic delusion. Instead of doing that, the rabbi strips himself naked and gets down and eats the awful chicken food, entering the world of the prince. And by identifying with the prince in his situation, he saves him. You see, this story is in fact very much like the Christmas story that we are here to celebrate tonight. Christmas is nothing less than a story about a God who gets under the table with us humans to deal with the condition that plagues us and to heal us of our brokenness. The world that we live in today is not all that much different than the world Jesus lived in. It was pretty brutal. In fact, all of history has really been one long story of warfare and murder and greed and pride and domination. And there have been all kinds of attempts across history to fix the human problem. For example, think about the Age of Enlightenment. Beginning in the 18th century, we learned much about the nature of the cosmos and its working. And our scientific discoveries, of course, led to technological innovations like the steam engine. Disciplines like sociology were birthed. And things seemed to be looking up. People were getting excited and positive about the future of humanity. And many people believed that if we could just eschew the oppressive dogmas of the church and use the raw, rational faculties of our mind humanity would begin to progress and the world would become a better place for all. 
it seemed that we were on the up and up. By our technological and scientific and philosophical bootstraps, the nations of the world could lift themselves up and the world would become a place of peace and flourishing and goodwill towards all. And then the 20th century happened. World War I, Auschwitz, World War II, Stalin, the Sino-Japanese War, Pol Pot, Vietnam, the Rwandan genocide, Columbine, the list goes on and on and on. And now with the 21st century well underway, we see that humanity is in just as great a mess as it always has been. Mass shootings and political vitriol and our insatiable consumerism affecting the planet in unprecedented ways. Now, I don't think any one of us in this room tonight would look out at the state of the world and all of the inhumanity we see and the injustice we see and the violence we see and say, hey, things are just as they ought to be. Everything is great. See, it is not difficult. It is not difficult to recognize that we have an enormous problem on our hands. Now, why in the world have we humans not yet been able to solve our problems? Surely we're more technologically and scientifically and medically advanced than we ever have been. And yet we seem to be continuing on a path of assured self-destruction. And that's where we in this room tonight have to own up to something uncomfortable. See, all of the horrors that we've experienced in the last century, or any other century in history for that matter, are not best explained by mere psychological diagnoses or a lack of human progress. No, no, those things are manifestations of something far deeper, something far more heinous, what the Bible calls the power of sin and death. And the habitat of those dark powers is not some specific period of time or some particular culture. The habitat of sin and death is the human heart. Or as my friend J. John likes to say, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. I've been reading a book by a rather controversial figure. Some of you will know the name Jordan Peterson. Peterson is a Canadian clinical psychologist who has recently written a very popular book called 12 Rules for Life. Peterson is not a believing Christian, but I want to read you what he says about the idea of sin that we find in the Bible. Peterson writes this, Only man could conceive of the rack, the iron maiden, and the thumbscrew. Only man will inflict suffering for the sake of suffering. That is the best definition of evil I have been able to formulate. And with this realization, we have well-nigh full legitimization of the idea, very unpopular in modern intellectual circles, of original sin. And then he says this, And who can deny the sense of existential guilt that pervades human experience? Now, you and I can admit that it's inhumane and evil to torture people or deprive the starving of food or sell people as slaves. But it hits closer to home to admit that it's also our hearts that lead you and I to despise one another, our co-workers, our family members, to withhold forgiveness for past wrongs, to perpetually ignore God unless we need something from him, to tell small lies that protect our egos and our reputations, to habitually overlook the poverty and the suffering 
right in front of our eyes in our own neighborhoods. That is harder to own up to. So, what can we do? Will a new age dawn? A new age of enlightenment, perhaps, in which we finally solve the problems that plague our humanity? Will we finally discover the path to self-improvement? Do we just need to try harder? To all of these questions, the Christmas event breaks in with a resounding answer. What the world needs is a savior. What the world needs is a savior because our fundamental problem isn't that we need more technological or scientific progress. It's that we need our broken hearts healed. We need to be forgiven of our sin, corporate and personal. We need to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father and given a new heart that belongs to Him. Listen again to the words we heard just moments ago from St. Paul's letter to Titus. He says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. That phrase, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, that is good news for us because it means we can look back at the 20th century. We can look back at any century. We can look back at our own lives and the inclination of our own hearts and say, there's nothing I can do to get out of this mess. And yet, the message of the gospel is this, that our Heavenly Father looks upon us in all of our rebellion, in all of our hopelessness, and with eyes of compassion and mercy, loving us despite our sinfulness, despite our blatant disregard for him, sends his son to be born of a virgin that he might save his people from their sins. That is the good news of Christmas. Remember, this child in the cradle is also the man on the cross who bears your sin and my sin so that you and I can be reconciled with our Heavenly Father and promised eternal life in a renewed creation free of sin, suffering, and death. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said this, God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners... Christ died for us. I remember the birth of my daughter, Lydia, just three years ago. It was uh, a very cold January night at a birth center in Wisconsin. And we had been up all night waiting for her arrival. And when she finally came and I got to hold her delicate, fragile little body up against mine for the first time, I got to experience giving fatherly love. And in that moment, You don't look at your child and say, how are you going to earn my favor? How are you going to earn my love? You just gaze at them with abundant love and there are really no words you can even say. That's grace. That is the love of our Heavenly Father towards us sinners. It is unmerited. It is unearned. It is undeserved. It is given freely to us as a gift. There's a story about a little boy, and his birthday was soon to arrive. 
So he got down on his knees and he prayed for a new bicycle. And when his birthday came, he did not receive a bicycle. That's okay, he thought. Christmas is coming soon and I'll take another stab at this. And as he was getting ready to get down and pray again, he thought, no, that didn't work last time. So he was wandering around his house and he found a statue of the Virgin Mary. And he took it down off the shelf and he wrapped it in a blanket and put it in a dresser drawer. And he said, all right, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, get me a bike. (laughs) You know, many of us like to bargain with God. Many of us like to bargain with God. We think that if we do our part, occasional donations to charity or visits to church or mumbling a quick prayer every so often when we need something that that God will smile upon us and say, hey, good job. See you when you get to heaven. Have a nice life. But see, it doesn't work like that. We can't bargain with God, first of all, because we can only be in a relationship with him by his grace. And second of all, that's not how a relationship with God works. Jesus told the crowds who were following him around and listening to him speak, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That is what God wants. Daily fellowship, daily intimacy with you and with me. You see, to have any kind of relationship with God is to walk with him always for all of life. Not just just cross our fingers and hope that we've done good enough when we die to go to heaven. That's not how it works. The challenge is to, to give yourself to him every single day, to entrust yourself to both his unfailing mercy and his life-giving commandments. And the problem for some of us is that instead of being in an actual real relationship with God, we've been bargaining with him in our minds. Instead of really seeking God, we have been holding ourselves back. C.S. Lewis, famous author, once said, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. There are some of here, some, some here in this room tonight, no doubt, You have not laid down your arms yet. You are still hiding behind a wall of defense, hiding from God, ignoring God, running from God. I was there for many years of my life. And the only way to lay down your arms is to receive his grace like the gift that it is. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith says I can't do this anymore. I can't be good on my own. I can't persevere on my own. I can't heal on my own. I have to stop ignoring God and entrust my life to him. When we look at the baby Jesus in his manger this Christmas, we will probably feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. And we should. That's okay. But we must also remember that this baby was born to provoke a crisis within us. A crisis that challenges us to ask what we will make of this child. 
Will he forever remain an ornament in our living rooms that we bring out once a year? Or will he become a living reality in our lives? Will the fact of his death on our behalf be something we treat with contempt and disbelief? Or will it become our hope and our freedom? Friends, God has come down under the table and taken human life and all of its brokenness and sinfulness and bound it to himself in order to save it. And that humility and that love is what we celebrate when we gaze upon the Christ child this Christmas. So when you look at the state of the world we're in, and when you look at the condition of your own heart and your own life, Let these words be a healing balm to your soul. Do not be afraid. For see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are here present for this local celebration of the birth of your incarnate Son, and we thank you that we stand in your presence. We desperately need you to take hold of our lives this Christmas, to get under the table with us and heal us, and that is exactly what you have done. We, your children in this room tonight, are struggling with sin, some of us with unbelief, some of us with hardness of heart some of us with personal suffering or depression or addiction or hopelessness. So we ask you to do the work that needs to be done in each of us by enabling us to receive your gracious and gentle, compassionate, fatherly touch. Make the birth of this child real to us in a way that changes us forever and fills us with the joy and the hope of everlasting life in him. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.